Okay, so again, uh, we're talking about the Christocentric nature of the Bible, uh, meaning that all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is all about Jesus. We tend to make it about us, and we tend to read into it and see how I can fix my problems, how I can do this, how I can do that. And when we do that, it's not that the Scriptures are not able to heal us and, and sanctify us and conform us to the image of Christ and help us become better people. But instead of looking at it as a to-do book, uh, let's look at it as a done book. I see y'all got a new sign over there, to tell us that. What does that mean? Who knows what that means? It is finished. It is finished. Greek. It's Greek. It means it is finished. And so when Jesus said that on the cross, when he said to tell us that it is finished, he did not say now it's up to you. That's not what the sacrifice on the cross was about. The sacrifice on the cross, his shed blood on that cross was to purchase the people for himself. And that sealed blood seals a people into a new covenant, into a new promise that he will change your heart, fill you with his spirit, and conform you to his image. That's a promise. And everyone who is a part of that promise, it is already in God's idea it is finished. And now we're just playing out his promise. And so... As we talk about the Christocentric nature of the scriptures, as we talk about the fact that God always keeps his promise and the reality that this is the week that most churches celebrate the Holy Week, right? The week before Jesus' death. Um, What I thought we would do, um, I want to remind you really quickly that prophecy is not just something that's there for you to try to figure out when Jesus is coming back or what the millennial kingdom reign is going to look like. That's not the main intent of the, the prophecy. Prophecy, the intention of prophecy is to show us that from the past God made promises and He has always kept those promises. Those promises have been fulfilled. And there are promises in the Scripture that have not yet been fulfilled. And because Christ is who He says He is and because Christ has always kept His promises, Christ will continue to keep those promises. And they will all be completed. All right. So in God's eyes, the whole uh, scope of the redemptive narrative of the salvation process of all of his people, in God's eyes, is complete. And now it's been played out before our eyes. It's just as good as done in his eyes. And so what we need to understand is that as we go through Easter, as we look to the Jesus fulfilling his promises of his death, burial, and resurrection, of the promise that he's sitting at the right hand of his Father right now, ruling and reigning, there's nothing happening in this world that is outside of his control. Jesus is not up in heaven pulling his hair going, oh no, what am I going to do with him now? They're out of control. Everything that is happening before your eyes today is within God's scope, is within God's decree, is within God's sovereignty. And nothing is happening outside of His will. Yes. Have all the Old Testament prophecies been no. fulfilled? No. No. Some of them have been filled in a temporary sense, and they have not yet been fulfilled in an eternal sense. Um, so, in other words, uh, God promised Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant that He would give the land of Israel to the people of Israel. He's fulfilled that promise. Right. If you go and look in Joshua and Nehemiah. And Second Kings, you will see that when Solomon reigned, all of the land that God had promised Abraham was given to the nation of Israel. All right, but as you look into the bigger picture, the promises now to spiritual Israel that the whole world will be given to them, not just one little piece of land in the middle of Israel. That the promises, the new heaven and the new earth. 
And so the, the earthly promise that was given to Abraham was fulfilled, but it will be fulfilled in a greater measure in the new heavens and the new earth for all of God's people, all of Abraham's kids, both physical and spiritual children. You see how that works? So, yes, it has been fulfilled, and it is being fulfilled, and it will be fulfilled. Okay? And so what we need to look at today, I want to remind you really quickly. Oh, I've got to pass this out, too. You're going to need this. So what I thought we would do, I sent it to Jeremy at the week last week after, or last time we had a class together. I'm going to put him on the spot because I know he didn't share it with you guys. But I sent, it, I sent him a list. I sent him a list of all of the promises of the Old Testament that were fulfilled in Christ. And what I did today was I, I made a copy of all of the Old Testament promises that were fulfilled in the Holy Week. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look through those. So really quickly, I want to remind you of a passage of Scripture. Look with me and in your Jesus' Old Testament. We're looking in Luke chapter 24, verse 44 and 45. That's going to be our main text. Luke 24, verses... 44 through 45, it says this. Now Jesus said to them, this is after his resurrection, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. So remember, when Jesus opened his disciples' minds to understand the Scriptures, there was no Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians to look at. It was only the Old Testament. So what Jesus did, he took his disciples to the Scriptures, the Old Testament, and showed them how all of Scripture pointed to him. And that's one of the things that we're doing in this class. And so today we're going to mainly focus on one of the aspects of the Old Testament, which is the prophetic aspect of the Old Testament. And we're going to see where where God made promises in the Old Testament, and those promises were fulfilled in Christ in the New Testament. And we're going to mainly focus on some of those promises that were made for the Holy Week, the week that He came to Jerusalem and died on the cross. Okay? So, with that said, let's open with a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for this week. We thank You for this time to come together and remember that You are a God who always keeps Your promises. And Your promise, the promise of Your Son Jesus Christ was kept to us. He came, was born of a virgin. He uh, was crucified under uh, Pontius Pilate was uh, died, buried, and raised again, and now He is sitting at Your hand in heaven. And Father, we thank You that You and Your Son have sent Your Holy Spirit to live within us so that we can now read Your Word and hear Your Word and receive Your Word and believe Your Word. And I pray for every man and woman within the sound of my voice that You will use this study as a way to open our hearts, our minds, and our lives to understand You, to know You, to grow in our understanding of Your promises that You always keep Your promise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to go back really quickly before we get into the handout that I just gave you. Um, it's coming around to you guys. All right, It's a handout. Um, there's a bunch of blank paper in it. If somebody wants to keep that to take notes on, you're more than welcome to keep the blank papers. All right. So while you're doing that, while you're finishing passing out that, I want you to turn with me really quickly to the book of Luke chapter 4. Turn to Luke chapter 4. This was a text that I referred to in our last lesson together. I was talking with you guys about it. And I want to show you again how this is in the New Testament. This is uh, Dr. Luke has given us a testimony of what Christ did. And in this passage in Luke chapter 4, we're going to see Jesus. Luke chapter 4, 
and we're going to look at verses 14 to 22. This is what it says. Luke chapter 4 and verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Remember, He's been baptized in the Spirit. Even Jesus had to be baptized in the Spirit to be empowered to do what He did, right? He was baptized in the Spirit, and the news about Him spread throughout all the surrounding district. He began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. A synagogue is basically a Jewish form of what we call a church. A meeting house is a place where they would all come together, read the Scriptures, study and pray and discuss things together. They would meet in their local synagogues and then three times a year they would go to Jerusalem to the main temple. All right, yes? Go on. This isn't a dumb question, but did Jesus have to study all of the uh, stuff that he was teaching, or was it just... There is no such thing as a dumb question, right? Well, that's really not true, but that was not a dumb question at all. Did Jesus have to learn? All right, so um, if you go back and you look, if you look a couple of... uh, You can look it up for yourself on your own time. Uh, When Jesus was left in Jerusalem and his parents went back home, they left him. Remember, they had to turn around and go back. Mm -hmm. And he was in the temple questioning the rabbis, all of the teachers, and asking them questions and amazing them with his questions, right? But then after that, the passage says, and Jesus continued to grow in wisdom and spirit, knowledge and spirit, right? And wisdom. So what does that mean? He was a boy. He, he, he went and had to learn Psalm 23 to sing it in the temple in the, with his people. But as he grew into a man the Holy Spirit opened his eyes to the reality of that he is the shepherd of Psalm 23. And so as he grew, he become, came to understand it more and more. So yes, he had to study to show himself approved, a workman that needed not be ashamed. Yeah, good, great question. No, that's a great question. All right, so in 14, we were in 14... Luke 4, and we got to 15. It said, He began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and it was his custom. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery to the sight of the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. He gave it back to the attendant. He sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All right, so really quickly, what did he do? He went to the temple. We call it a book. They had a scroll. He had to roll it out. And to show how well he knew the Scriptures, remember the Jewish scrolls, if you open them up, there's writing on the front and back of them. And the chapters and verses that you have in your Bible, when I told you to turn to Luke 4, you know, chapter 14, they were not added to the Bible until like the 13th century. So when Jesus opened up that scroll, it was a bunch of Hebrew writing with no numbers or no text or no headings. So what does that tell you? He had to know it to be able to read and find out where he, he, what he wanted to read. But what did he read? He read a passage. Now, in my Bible, the, I use a more modern Bible, uh, NASB, and in it, it capitalizes. Anytime that they use an Old Testament text and quote it in the New Testament, it puts it in capital letters. Some of y'all might be familiar with Bibles with red letters. When Jesus talks, it's in red letters, right? Well, the reason they capitalize it is to show that here in the New Testament, they are quoting something from the Old Testament. 
And so what is the quote? Jesus opened up the scroll. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recover sight to the blind and set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He sat down and then he said, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your ears. All right, now, what I want to do is, now let's go back to Isaiah and find out what he actually quoted, okay? Look with me. Now, keep your mark there and, and look for. And let's go to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61, the first of the major prophets. And Isaiah 61 says this. Isaiah 61 verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Alright, so is that the text that Jesus quoted? Yes. Yes. Is it exactly how he quoted it? What did Jesus not quote in the Luke 4 passage? Let me read it again. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. He didn't, the last part, the day of vengeance. The day of vengeance of our God. Now, why would he not do that? When is the day of vengeance of our God? Uh, huh? Well, at the end. On the day, not days, the day of the Lord. When he splits the cows open, comes down here, and the living and the dead and all who have ever lived are going to stand before him and answer for the lives that they've lived. That's the day of vengeance. What does it say? The angels are going to come down. They're going to separate the sheep from the goats and the goats are going to, and the wheat from the tares. The tares are going to be bound up together and thrown into eternal hell, right? That is the day of vengeance. That is the day that He comes back and pours His wrath out on a world who rejected Him. Okay? So what Jesus does, He goes into that synagogue, opens it up, and He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. But he leaves that off. Why? I think I know why. Because that part refers to his coming after Good. The second advent is when he is going to judge the world. In his first advent, what did he come to do? I have come to seek and to save the lost. You see? So when he quotes that scripture, what he's saying is, I it's fulfilled today. The blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the deaf are hearing, the mute are talking. The demons are fleeing. And I am proclaiming to you that the kingdom is at hand. Repent. Believe the gospel. That's what Jesus preached. And so what's he saying right here? This scripture is being fulfilled before your very eyes. Believe it. But to show you how specific that fulfillment is, in his first advent, he didn't come to judge. He came to save. There will come a day when the second part of that Isaiah passage will be fulfilled on that day of vengeance. You see how that works? Yeah.
Okay, good. All right, so we've seen that. Now we're going to look at some scriptures for meditation. Let me see where I'm supposed to be. According to my, I'm trying to time this out and get all this done today. I'm supposed to be at 10 minutes after 8. I'm supposed to be where we are right now. Y'all see we're already seven minutes behind. So we're going to try. Turn with me really quickly. We're going to look at three passages of scripture that I've highlighted there for you. What I want you to do is um, I'm going to title this lesson Easter Eggs because just like uh, little kids hunt for Easter eggs, we're going to hunt for Jesus in the Old Testament. We're going to read some passages of Scripture, and we're going to see where the Old Testament prophesied said, hey, this is what your Messiah is going to look like when He comes. Hey, this is what your Messiah is going to do when He gets there. And we're going to see if we can see Him in those passages. So turn with me to Psalm 22. We'll start there. I just want you to prayerfully be listening to the words and thinking about ways in which this points to Christ. Alright? It says, Psalm 22, a cry of anguish and a song of praise. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groanings. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy. O oh, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel, and your fathers, and you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered, and you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate their, with their lips, they wag their heads, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord, let Him deliver Him, let Him rescue Him, because He delights in Him. Yet you are He who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast, upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. The strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They have opened wide their mouths at me as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax that is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death. For the dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierce my hand and my feet. I can count all of my bones. They look. They stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. Wow. Alright, so we're going to stop there with Psalm 22. What do we see there? We see David. Remember, his great-great-grandson, Jesus' great-great-grandson, is the one writing this. And he's prophesying of what the suffering servant is going to look like when he comes. Now remember, this is written almost 800 years, 900 years before Jesus ever walked the earth. Okay? That's one. That's Psalm 22. Turn with me to Isaiah 53. Just a couple hundred years after David. Isaiah 53. We're going to go to Isaiah 52 first and look at 13, 14, and 15 of that passage. It says, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on the account of him. For what 
had not been told them, they will see, and what they had not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we would look upon him, nor an appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him, and by His scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to His own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon Him. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so He did not open His mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgressions of my people to whom the stroke was due? His grave was assigned with wicked, (coughs) yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he has done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot with him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, Because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sins of many and interceded for the transgressors. Right again, this is written 700 years before Jesus was ever born. Isaiah is saying, when your Messiah comes, this is what he's going to look like. And the people who are screaming out, crucify him, crucify him, were the very ones that could have quoted this scripture to you. Should have been able to because they were Jews. Yeah, this was their prophecy of their Messiah. And Isaiah was saying, this is what your your Messiah is going to look like when he comes. And yet they could not see him. They crucified him. They they couldn't see the promises being fulfilled before their very eyes. You see how that works? Okay. Psalm 110. Um, Psalm 110 happens to be the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. It's quoted more times than any other uh, passage of Scripture. Uh, Psalm 110. Let's look at that together really quickly. This is a short one. All right. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. 
He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. That's a picture of victory, right? So, he says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Now remember, Jesus quoted that psalm to the guys that were trying to kill him. The Pharisees were asking questions and they were trying to trip him up. And he said to them, this is what he said to them. Hey, I have a question for you, you scribes and rulers and you scholarly types, you ones that know everything. He said, David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. He said, now here's the question I have for you. If the Messiah is David's son, now that's something that all Jewish people believe. The Messiah would be a son of David. Okay? That makes sense? So from the line of David would come the Messiah. So Jesus said to them, If the Messiah is David's son, why is David calling him Lord? Would your grandfather call you sir? You see... David calls his great-great-grandson Lord, Yahweh. And so, it said, and after he asked him this question, they didn't ask him any more questions. They couldn't see it. They couldn't see that the Messiah was going to be a son of David, but he was also going to be the son of God. And they couldn't see it. So Jesus said, why is David calling him Lord if it's his son? The Lord said to my Lord, So the father said to the son, basically what it, right? The father said to the son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. So not only is he the son of David, he's the son of God. And they couldn't see it. They couldn't see the scripture being fulfilled before their very eyes. And one of the things that you and I need to understand is we are just as capable of making the same mistakes. We have all kind of eschatological views out there that people reading into the Scriptures things that are not there and predicting what's going to happen. How many times have they predicted over the last 2,000 years that when the Messiah is coming? And they're always wrong. If somebody tells you that Jesus is coming back on this day, you can go put your life savings into Vegas betting it won't happen. They're not going to, they're not going to know. Right? And so... The reality is some of the scriptures are being fulfilled before our very eyes today. His enemies are being made a footstool before his very eyes. Jesus is sitting on the throne and the providence of God is crushing his enemies before his very feet. Now to me and you, it don't look like that, does it? When we watch the news, when we see the world around us, when we look at our homes and our broken families and the mess all around us, it doesn't look like the God's winning, does it? But the reality is Jesus is waiting for his enemies to be made a footstool. So those promises are being fulfilled before our very eyes. All right? So now we're supposed to be at 8.12, and we're now at 8.30. So we're 18 minutes behind. All right? We'll never get through all these. So what I want you to do is I want you to keep this handout that I've given you, and you can take it for yourself, and you can go in during this Holy Week, and you can kind of meditate on some of these promises. The first one we want to look at is there was a prophecy in Zechariah 1.12 that Jesus would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. So let's look at that. Zechariah 1.12. Zechariah 1.12. It says this. 
Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord... No, I got it wrong. I got it wrong. I got the wrong passage. My bad, guys. Hmm? Let me see if I can bail myself out of this because I've already, like literally in my first quote, I've already... Nine nine, there it is. Yep, good job. Zechariah nine nine. It says this: Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shouting in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey. All right. Now we need to remember something. Do y'all remember Absalom, King David's son? Yes. He rode a donkey, didn't he? Yes. Matter of fact, all of King David's sons rode donkeys. Right? Back in that day, a person riding a donkey was considered royalty. But a donkey, when a king was riding on a donkey, it was in during peace times. What about in wartime? What do you think a, a king would ride in wartime? Huh? Chariot. Chariot? Not a chariot. A horse. A war horse. So, remember our prophecy about Jesus coming to seek and say that which was lost? What did He come into town on? A donkey. And then when we go to Revelation 9, what did He come? A horse. A horse on a war horse. Oh my That's exactly right. That's crazy. Right? It's, 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 it's just a fact. And, and, it, and the reality is we need to settle in our hearts that God has shown us through His Word that He always keeps His promises. And it's all tied together. There's no loose ends anywhere. It's like all been planned out and it's all working out according to the plan. So, uh, let's look at that passage in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter... We're going to do a lot of jumping around here now. Matthew 21 and verse 4 and 5. Matthew 21 verse 4 and 5 says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet saying... The daughters of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. All right? So Jesus sent his disciples to go get him what? A donkey. And remember, he came riding in Jerusalem on a donkey. So in Zechariah, the prophecy was, your Messiah will come in riding on a donkey's back. Jesus is coming into town riding on a donkey's back. He's fulfilling that prophecy. All right? All right, let's look at Jesus would be praised by little children. Jesus would be praised by little children. This is in Psalm 8. Psalm 8 and verse 2. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you has established strength. Some of your passages, some of yours may say in the New Testament, it perfected praise, right? Established strength, perfected praise. So let's look at that passage now in Matthew 21, verse 16. Matthew 21 and verse 16. All right. 
Jesus, uh, verse 15 says, when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done and that the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant. So, God, Hosanna means what? God save us. God save us. To who? They're shouting, Hosanna to who? The son of David. Now, what do you think that term son of David would have meant to a Jewish person? The Messiah. That's exactly right. So what are these children screaming out? God save us. This is the Messiah. And the rulers became indignant. Did they not? And Jesus said to them, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said, yes. Have you never heard? Or the men said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus said, yeah. You've never read? Points them to their own scriptures. Out of the mouths of infants and nursing and babes, you prepare praise for yourself. Now, again, how can the children realize when they didn't? Because they have childlike faith. Yeah. Remember what he said? Unless you come to me as a little child, you can know we inherit the kingdom of heaven. All right, now, I want you to notice something there. Did y'all notice it when I read in Psalm 8? I I still got it. So listen to this again. From the mouths and infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make an enemy and the revengeful cease. Then in the New Testament, Jesus quotes and it says, Out of the mouth of infants and nurse and babies, you have prepared praise for yourself. Why is there, is there a contradiction there? <clears throat> no, they're actually both, they're actually both uh, complementary statements. But the reason that it's different is because the Old Testament and the newer translations, the Old Testament translates it straight from Hebrew. But when you read a passage of Scripture in the New Testament that's a quote of the Old Testament, they're quoting it from something called the Septuagint. Okay? Now, let me try to explain this simply to you. The Hebrew language was what the Old Testament was written in. But at the time of Jesus, the time of the apostles, what was the language? Greek. Greek. So what they did was the 70 Jewish scholars down in Alexandria, Egypt, they were down in Egypt, they got together and they took the Hebrew Old Testament and translated it into Greek. That Greek translation was called the Septuagint. That's just a big fancy Greek word like tetelestai means it is finished. Septuagint just means the 70. Okay? And so those 70 men translated the Scriptures from Hebrew to Greek. So when you read an Old Testament quote in the New Testament... 95% of the time it's from the Septuagint and not from the Hebrew text. So, when Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul, right? if you go back and look at the passage he's quoting in Deuteronomy, it says heart, mind, and strength. Heart, soul, and strength. It doesn't say mind. But Jesus is quoting the Greek Septuagint where it says heart, mind, soul, and strength. You see how that works? He's saying the same thing, he, but all of the people of that day used the Septuagint. So when Paul would be quoting from the Scriptures, he would be quoting from the Septuagint. Alright, so we got off on a rabbit there. Alright, so Does that make sense why he did that? Okay, alright. Now, uh, let's look at Jesus being portrayed. Psalm 41.9. Psalm 41.9. We'll get through as many as we can and I'll leave the rest up to you guys. 
Maybe we'll just come back next Friday and finish it up. I don't know. We'll see how that works. Psalm 41.9. I'll start in verse 4 just to give it some context. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. My enemies speak evil against me. When will he die and his name perish? And when he comes to see me, he speaks falsehood. His heart gathered wickedness to itself. When he goes outside, he tells it. All who hate me whisper together against me. Against me they devise my hurt, saying, A wicked thing is poured out upon him, that when he lies down, he will not rise up again. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Who's he talking about? Judas. Remember, he dipped the sop and gave me the bread? All right, let's look at that. Uh, let's look at We'll look at that one back. Luke 22, 47 to 48. Luke 27. I'm sorry, not Luke 27. Luke 22, 47 to 48. It says this. While he was still speaking... Behold, a crowd came, and one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them, and he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Um, In John, like John 6-ish, there's a a quote where Jesus said, but he was not trusting in all of them, because he knew who was the Son of the Devil. So, is it safe to say that Jesus was studied up enough to realize himself in the scriptures? Yes. No doubt. Remember what he said to the disciples on the road of Mace. He said, you, or he, actually he told the Pharisees this, you study the scripture for your salvation, but they speak of me. Now I don't know if this is something you may know right off the back, but I'm going to try it. So, did, he had this realization long before John baptized him in the Jordan. Because he had to write. Yeah. Again, we need to understand that Jesus grew in spirit and in wisdom. Like as he grew, he became more true in his thought process. In the same way that as you grow in the scriptures, you become to understand them more. So, with that being the case, why was it necessary for him to receive the spirit? Why he not? Because the Holy Spirit, remember, He is 100% God and He is 100% man. And He clothed Himself in the weakness and the frailty of humanity so that we could relate to Him. He humbled Himself and became a man. And it came with all of the, except for sin, it came with... He uh, do it as we would have to do it. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, so when you pray and say you don't understand what I'm going through, he can say, "Oh yeah, I was betrayed by my friends too. Yeah, I've been." I'm sorry, I had to ask you three questions to get to that. That's fine. But what it, what it is like? Um, because in the Jewish culture, men, you know, the young guys have to be instructed in the in in the Old Testament, and, and they knew, and they had to study by by by. It was part of their culture and religion. Yeah. You know, so so Jesus as was growing in, in knowledge. As well, it's because he had to, uh, you know, within the culture, he he was studying. Right. And you'll and so you'll find you'll find it at times you'll find people. uh, So like the the Muslims would say that there's no way that Jesus could be God because he was asked on he was asked when 
when would when would his return be? And he said, no man knows except my father who's in heaven. Right. right? And so he was saying he, he can't be God because God is omniscient. He knows everything. But Jesus is 100% man and 100% God, and he was clothed in humanity. And at, most of the time, he, uh, th- th- he was a human. He, did, he didn't... He could. He didn't know. As a man, he did not know. Just, just, like, just like when he told John, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, Peter, that you know, it was the Holy Spirit that had revealed to him who he was. Yeah. You know, so he was, he was a man at that moment. Right. You know, he thought, you know. So yeah. thank yeah. you. I mean, I just want to see that. Yeah. 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 I understood that by what you just said. It's, it's, okay. Remember, Jesus is 100% man, and he's 100% God. And me and you can't understand that because we're only 100% man. We can't be 200% of anything. He's fully God and fully man. And you say, well, I don't understand that. Well, congratulations, you're not God. <laughs> only God can understand that. Right? So there is always going to be a mystery in that, in the sense that there's going to be some things that we can't grasp with our mind. I'm sorry, but this should brought up a question. So do you think up there, sitting beside the Father, that He knows... Is what's going to happen now? Yes. No doubt. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. So he he is be, he is exalted now. He is the exalted king. All knowing. Yeah. He will always so be. He knows the plans for us and everything now. Oh, he knew it. Well, yes. He knew it before he was born because he was the son before he was born. Do you think he could have known when he's coming back, but by telling us he knows like he could create chaos? I, no, I think that he was. I think that in his manhood, he there were things that he didn't understand. He told them that it was not uh, for us to know the season. Yeah. Remember what he did. He. Uh, just the night of his arrest, when he was praying in the garden, he said, God, he said, Lord, if you can, take this cup away from me. That was his humanity that was feeling the pressure of him becoming the Paschal Lamb, becoming sin for us. Like he had never known sin, and now he's feeling the presence of that all coming upon him and knowing that he's got to die for the sin of the people. But even as God and even as one that knows he was going to fulfill that that task, the humanity of him cried out and said, this is... Imagine even if he doesn't know that time, if he ready with him to say so. I'm I'm not sure about that one, but let's let's see if we can't let's see if we can't get through a couple more of these. And and I think the more I get into it, I think the more I get into it, I'm supposed to come back and be with y'all next Friday. I think what we'll do, keep these handouts, and we'll work through some more of these together. So I'm just going to kind of slow down and see if we can't get maybe a couple more of these done before. All right. So Jesus' price money would be used to buy our potter's field. So let's go back to the book of Zechariah. Uh, look at Zechariah 11. And verses 12 and 13. Zechariah 11. Verses 12 and 13. I said to them, uh, I said to them, if it is good in your sight, give me my wages, but if not, never mind. So they weighed out 30 shekels of silver as my wages. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that magnificent price at which I was valued by them. So I took the 30 shekels of silver and threw them to the potter in the house of the Lord. All right, so how much? 30 shekels of silver? And what did he do? He threw the money into the potter field. All right, 
what did you? How much did you just get for selling Jesus out? Thirty shekels of silver. And then he went back to the temple. Remember? And he said, "This is blood money." I don't, or he threw it back and said, "I don't want this now." And they said, "It's blood money. We don't want it. Take, get it out of here." And they, and that money was used to buy what? A potter's field. They threw that money towards the potter's field. So that's uh, let's let's look at that passage being um, fulfilled. Matthew twenty-seven nine and ten. Matthew 27, verses 9 and 10. And it says this. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet. Oh, well, let's. We got to go back a couple passages to get uh, uh, verses to get the text, the context. Uh, Verse three of 27. Then Judas, uh, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned. He felt remorse, right? That's not repentance. It's remorse. That's a big difference in remorse and repentance. Remorse is sad that you've done something. Remorse is sad that you got caught. Repentance is when you realize you've done wrong and turn away from it and are unwilling to do it again. Judas was not repentant. If he'd been repentant, he would have went back and found Jesus and fell at his feet and said, oh, please forgive me. He didn't. He went and hung himself. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians 7, I think, that says that godly sorrow uh, brings life, but worldly sorrow brings death. Right? There's a big difference. in. So if I'm in jail, I can say, oh, I'm sorry, I got high. But as soon as they post your bond and you get out, you go back over to your friend's house and get high again. You weren't sorry that you got high. You were sorry that you got caught and had to pay a fine. All right? Just like if you want to use something similar to that, speeding. Right? I got a speeding ticket the other day, and it really angered me because it was through a camera over by a school by my house. They sent me a picture in the mail with my my license plate. said, send us $100. You were doing 45 in a 35 school zone. Right. Yeah, that was aggravating. But I had to pay it. Why? Because I was guilty. They caught me. It was my car, uh, my tag, everything. And there I was, guilty as all sin. Now, I was I honestly not sorry that I was speeding. I'm sorry I had to pay $100 out of my bank account. But the difference now is that now when I go through there, I go slow. <laughs> you see, that's the difference. Someone who is repentant says, I'm not going to drive 45 and a 35 anymore in that place. I don't want to pay that anymore, but I know it's wrong. I'm not going to do it. Someone who is just remorseful, they're going to speed on through there again and get caught again. right? right, So he was uh, remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See to that yourself. He threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and pardoned, and he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest took a piece of silver and said, it is not lawful to put them in the temple treasury since it is the price of blood. They conferred together and with the money bought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. So by doing that, by taking that 30 pieces of silver and going and buying that field, those priests were actually fulfilling that prophecy from Zechariah. And the, and, the, and the reality is they knew that prophecy and they still didn't realize what was happening. That's what I was about to say. That's insane. No, I know it's not. That's Me and crazy. you have done it all of our lives. We've rebelled and sinned against God knowing that he 
Like we do the same thing. We are human beings and we rebel against God. Knowing that His wrath is hanging over our heads, we tempt Him every day. The way, that, the, way the Bible says it is we put our finger in His eye. We poke it. We constantly tempt Him. Right? We're human and that's what we do. All right. Um, we got time to do one more. So let's do one more. Um, Jesus would be falsely accused. Psalm 3511. Psalm 3511. All right, we'll start in nine. My soul shall rejoice in the Lord and shall exult in his salvation. All of my bones will say, Lord, who is like you? who delivers the afflicted from him who is too strong for him, and the afflicted and the needy from him who robs him. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good to the bereavement of my soul. All right, let's look at now and uh, the fulfillment of that. And that would be <clears throat> Mark fourteen fifty seven to 58. Mark 14, 57 to 58. We'll start at 53 and we'll read the 65. We'll close out with this passage. So we're looking at Mark 14, 53. They led Jesus away to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes gathered together. Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest and was sitting there with the officers and warming himself by the fire. Now, the chief, now so Peter's there warming himself by the fire. John... Knew the high priest, so he was inside watching Jesus get trained. But where were all the rest of where were all the rest of the disciples? They ran away. They ran away. In the book of Zechariah, it says, "Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter." Yeah. <laughs> right. That, there's another one that's fulfilled. They arrested Jesus, and what do they do? The sheep gone. Right. So. He says, uh, now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death, and they could not find any. Why couldn't they find any testimony? Because they weren't speaking about who he truly was. Huh? They were scared. Why couldn't they find any testimony against him? Because he wasn't speaking about who he truly was. Because he ain't done anything wrong. He never done anything wrong. Remember, the testimony had to be two people coming together and agreeing that he'd done something. I thought that That's what they were trying to charge him with, but they couldn't get anybody to make it stick. So they finally, at the end, they finally get two witnesses come together and say, yeah, he said that he would tear the temple down and destroy it, and in three days he'd raise it back up again. They were thinking about the, the big temple, and he was talking about his own body. Right. Right. That's exactly right. They they finally got two people to agree that yeah he did say tear this body down and in three days I'll raise it up again. Did he say that? Yeah, but he was talking about his own body, not 
Right. Again. All right. So it says they were trying to obtain a testimony, for many were giving false testimonies against him, but their testimony was not consistent. Some stood up and began to give false testimonies against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I will build another made without hands. Not even in this respect was their testimony consistent. So even then, they really, that's not what he said. Right? I, and it said, the high priest stood up and came forward and questioned Jesus, saying, Do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Now, why was he not saying anything? Because he already told him so many times. Good. No matter what he said, they weren't going to believe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so there's two reasons why he didn't answer them. It had to happen. It had to be fulfilled. Like a sheep led to the slaughter, he did not open his mouth. So not only is he fulfilling prophecy, but he's fulfilling a future prophecy that said that God would turn the religious, false religious leaders over to their own deafness, their own ignorance, their own blindness. Yeah, he, all of that prophecy is being fulfilled. Okay, so let's end the class because uh, I know y'all got donuts and all that good stuff waiting for you. I want you to think about a few things. We, I thought about how this is like an Easter egg hunt, right? Now, I, I, I hate Easter eggs. I think it's the silliest nonsense in the world. I hate Easter baskets. I love watching, I love all the memes that they put on social media these days of these kids sitting around these terrifying-looking Easter bunnies from like the 30s and 40s, and the kids are like, right? I think it's all pagan nonsense. Okay, but but here's the deal. The concept is you go out and you hide all of these eggs, and then you run out and you go find them, right? Well, the reality is, so um, any of y'all that know me, Tony and them, they've known me long enough to know that one of my hang-ups is I've always loved the superhero movies. Like, ever since Christopher Reeves and Superman, I've just been a big, I grew up reading comic books when I was a kid. And so anytime a new uh, Marvel movie comes out, like, I just went and over there and saw one, I forget what it was now, but... Guardians of the Galaxy is coming out next week. So I love those movies. But in all of those superhero movies, they always put Easter eggs in there, right? That's what they call an Easter egg. Well, what's an Easter egg? <clears throat> it's like little hidden things that point you either to the next movie or point you back to a movie that you've already seen. And for the astute, you catch them. I don't catch a lot of them because a lot of it... So, when I read comic books, the X-Men were really not that big. But nobody read X-Men when I was a kid. It was Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, and the Justice League. And that was a, Marvel was hardly nothing back when I was a kid. Like they, but uh, except for Spider-Man. So uh, I love those those story. I love those Easter eggs. I, I love going online and looking and going, oh, I missed that one. I missed that one. I missed that one. But the point of this is, is that in the Easter story, which we've been looking at today, in the Holy Week. There were all kind of little hidden messages, like more than we will ever even know, buried in from Genesis to Malachi. And now that Christ has come, now that He has died, been buried, raised again, and now that He's sitting on the throne, now that He and His Father have sent their, the Holy Spirit to live within us, right. now those Easter eggs have been revealed for us, and they're there for the plucking. It's for us to go back in and find all of those. Why? Because they all point to Christ. And by seeing Christ in all of the promises, those promises become more real to us. And as those promises become more real to us, our faith grows and we can believe more and more. Yes, ma'am. Did the Pharisees, uh, after all this happened, you think that they said, oh, they went back and read all the stuff and what happened and went down and then they oh, yeah. were like, thank Jesus.
some of them did. Um, I would tell you to look at the book of Acts. So remember, um, what uh, Nicodemus was a, a ruler of the Pharisees, and by and when in John three, he he's not converted in John three. But he went to Jesus at night. Jesus had a long conversation with him, pointed him back to the book of uh, Numbers, uh, to the serpent in the wilderness, pointing to Ezekiel 36 about how one day God would give him a new heart and give him a heart of flesh and fill him with the Spirit. Like He points Nicodemus to those Old Testament Scriptures. And then as you read later on in the story, um, when Joseph of Arimathea gets all of the spices to go bury Jesus' body, who's there helping him? Nicodemus. Nicodemus goes with him to help him bear. So what you find is that over that three-year period, through Jesus opening up the Scriptures to Nicodemus, Nicodemus slowly came to a saving faith in, in who Christ was. And so there's one passage in the New Testament where it says the... Uh, I think it's in... I, if I, don't quote me on this, but I think it's in John 11 after he raises Nicodemus from the dead. The The priests all get together and say we got to do something because if we don't everybody's going to believe this guy like everybody's going to follow after him and uh, and the statement they made is the whole world has gone after him the reality was there was a whole lot of people that did not believe as it's the same today so um, with that said I hope this encourages you to search for him in all of the scriptures when you're reading Right now in my annual read through the Bible, we're in the book of Leviticus. And this is the time of the year that most people that try to read about through the year fall out. When you get to Leviticus and Numbers, you lose a crowd. But the reality is, is that's just as much a story as Revelation or the book of John. And it all points us to Christ and it's all important. It's all given to us for reproof, uh, for doctrine, for knowledge. Wisdom, and so we need it. We need all of the scriptures. Let's close with a quick prayer. Thank y'all for your attention and time. I'll see you guys next Friday, Lord willing. Father, thank you for this time you've given us together. Thank you for your Son Jesus Christ. Thank you for being a God who makes promises and keeps promises. I pray that you'll help us to grow in our knowledge and our faith of those promises and our understanding of those promises, and just help us to to realize the beauty of who you are, our God, our Creator, our Lord, and our Savior. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Amen.